How we doing? We doing all right? Oh, Stephen. It's fine. I love you. And uh, um, where's uh, Katie? Katie Brown. Um, I just I just want to say thank you for being obedient. And um, you know, if you're new to church, maybe it's your first time at church. Um, you know, some of this stuff can come off as being a little weird. I think, um, you know, what we just did for about 15 to 18 minutes, it could feel like massive karaoke. And, um, but I just want to encourage you um, to keep showing up. Uh, we believe that we serve a God who's not dead, but he's alive, and his spirit is alive, and, and his spirit um, wants to be in relationship with us. And so if, if you're new to church um, can I just encourage you to keep showing up? Um, that what if you're right where God wants you to be? To experience something that he wants to, to show you in your life. And, um, and, and I just want to encourage, um, there's somebody in the room this morning um, that when you walked in this morning to church, you were thinking that you weren't worth it. And um, I just want to encourage you that the, there's a reason you're here this morning. And if the only thing that you hear this morning is that the Savior of the world, the creator of the universe, is madly in love with you, leave with that. And know that your value is not found in anything that this world will tell you, uh, but your value is found in the fact that God gave his only son for you. And that's how valuable you are to him. And um, let me pray for us, and we'll jump in this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. God, I thank you for your word. And um, Father, I pray that as we dive into your word this morning, um, that you would speak to us. Would you give us uh, ears that are eager to hear your voice, hearts that are ready to lean in, to hear what you have for us. Uh, Father, I pray that you would... Um, you would not allow people to hear me this morning, but they would hear you and your heart for them this morning. And uh, we love you and we bless you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. You can go ahead and take a seat. And uh, really quick, I just want to welcome uh, everybody again that's joining us online through Liberty Live. Can we welcome them one more time this morning? And... Uh, I want to give a special shout out to somebody who's a part of our online community um, every single week, and it's Matt Sadler's mom. And so, Skip, we want to welcome you this morning. Um, and she's watching all the way from Michigan. And uh, Skip, we love you. We're grateful that you get to be a part of what's happening here at Liberty Church, and we love your son. Um, he's an incredible human who holds this whole church together. And, um, and so, Skip, we just wanted to say hi. We love you. And we uh, want to just make sure that you know you were loved from us. And um, we've been in a series the past couple of weeks called Money Makeover. And uh, the first week, Emily Kirkendall did an unbelievable job of kind of really setting the stage of helping us understand the importance of money when it comes to our theology. And she laid an incredible foundation for that. And then last week, we had a special uh, Sunday where we got to hear from Candace. Anybody love what you heard from Candace? It was absolutely incredible. And Candace, what I love about what Candace shared with us last week is she laid a foundation for us to understand 
um, like where the practical side of having a budget, saving, and kind of knocking out debt, the spiritual implications for that. And so it's not just us saying, hey, we want you to be, uh, to have a budget, we want you to uh, start saving, we want you to get out of debt. No, she told you why Jesus wants you to do those things and the significance of that to your faith. And, uh, and then we got to hear from Katie and Jason Brown and another incredible conversation. And what I loved about that, it was the whole weekend last Sunday was about how wisdom in our finances helps us to build the house. And not just the house of God, even though that's a part of it, but I think even more so your house for your family. And how God wants to work in and through your house to further his kingdom. And we got to hear an incredible story of Katie and Jason on how using biblical wisdom with their finances actually enabled them to start their family through adoption. Anybody love that conversation? It was incredible. And, um, and so I'm excited to kind of wrap this series up before we uh, start the road to Easter. And, uh, and this morning, what I want to talk about is kind of the, the sum of all of those parts. And so we've kind of laid a foundation for uh, the theology behind money and its significance in our relationship with Jesus. And then we talked a little bit about the practical implications of, of things that we should do as followers of Jesus and biblically and spiritually why they're significant and important and what they can enable us to do. And what I want to do this morning is just kind of end this series with if we can do all of those things to the best of our ability. We're not going to be perfect because no one's perfect. And if you are, then could you come talk to me afterwards because I would love to know how you're doing it. Um, but, but no one's perfect. So we're not going to get everything right. But sometimes what we need to pursue is progress over perfection. And I think some of us need to really understand that when it comes to our finances. You're not going to get it all right, but you can make progress. And if you pursue progress instead of perfection when it comes to your finances, I think it'll set us up to do what I want to talk about this morning. Because I think that when we use the wisdom that God gives to us in his word in regards to our finances, we do the things that Candace shared and Katie and Jason talked about. We let the foundation of what Emily shared with us. I think ultimately what we'll see is that generosity at the end of the day was God's purpose for humanity all along. That was God's purpose for humanity all along was generosity. And, um, and so if you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're going to look at verses 6 through 15. And uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to encourage the church in Corinth. And what you have to understand in this text specifically is uh, this was actually a church that Paul had planted. And he set them kind of loose to do their thing. And they didn't really do their thing well. Um, so he's coming back to kind of encourage and remind them of the why. Paul wants to help them keep the main thing the main thing. And this is what it says, starting in verse 6 of the NIV. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. 
As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on what? Every occasion. And through us, your generosity results in thanksgiving, not to us, but to God. And this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you. Because of the surpassing grace God has given you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And what I want us to focus on this morning is uh, verse 11. And the end of it, it says, you'll be enriched. So God is saying, hey, follow me, trust me, and you will be enriched for what purpose? So that you can be not generous one time, not generous for half of your life, not generous just on Monday, not generous just on Sunday, but he says generous on every occasion, every occasion. And that's what God's calling us to, whether that's with our time, whether that's with our gifts and our abilities, and and most importantly, and I think even most significantly, is our finances. Generous on every occasion. And I believe that if we do all of the things that we've talked about the first couple of weeks, then it kind of sets the stage for us to be generous on every occasion. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Tess and I were on vacation, and we were in Miami for three days um, on South Beach, and we try to go once a year because um, during the winter months, um, there's kind of a deficiency of sun. And in order for me to keep this beautiful uh, glowing skin... Um, I have to get a little bit of sun, and, um, and, so, um, and so we were in Miami, and uh, we found this hotel a couple years ago that we love to stay at, and we go every year, and uh, we had just been out. We ate a ton of food, like always, and uh, just me, not Tess, um, and we got back to the hotel, and we got back. It's like 930. That's when you know you kind of turned a corner uh, when you're back in the hotel room at 930, and... Um, and I, I have a massive sweet tooth. I can eat anything that's sweet at any point, at any time of the day, no matter how my stomach feels, I'm going to eat it. If it's in front of me, I'm going to eat it. And, um, and so we had this amazing dinner, and, um, and I got back to the room, and I was like, man, I just need something sweet. I just need something sweet. And, uh, and so I pulled out the like, in-room menu, and um, I was looking at the desserts. And there was this one dessert that caught my eye. It was a deconstructed key lime pie with a graham cracker crust. And, um, okay, nobody likes key lime pie. Uh, I'm the only one. And uh, um, let me tell you, when it came to the room, um, you know, I saw it, and it was like this little circle thing. It was very pretty. Um, And then... uh, I looked at how much we paid for it, and I was like, man, I should have had this money makeover series before we went to Miami. And, uh, but I'm eating it, and we're in the bed, and I'm eating it, and uh, Tess is kind of like falling asleep, and I guess how I eat key lime pie is really disruptive. 
I, I never knew that. But apparently it's extremely disruptive. So I'm taking bites of the key lime pie, and out of nowhere, Tess heard her back turn because she's laying and she's facing the other direction. Out of nowhere, she turns over and she, she says, can you hurry up and finish that pie? <laughs> and you're laughing because you know that she will do that. And, and I look at her, I'm like, but I'm just trying to enjoy every moment that I have with this key lime pie. And, and so I just keep taking little bites, little bites, little bites. And every, with every bite and with every chew, she's just irritated. And, uh, but I, I, you know, what I was thinking about, I was trying to savor every little piece of that key lime pie. And in that moment, I had a revelation about generosity. I, I think that Sometimes when it comes to generosity, when it comes to being a people that God calls us to be, being a church and and followers of him that can be generous on every occasion and our mindset about generosity, I think sometimes that our generosity, our mindset towards it is more fear-based rather than faith-based. And what I mean by that is, is your mentality when it comes to generosity is more concerned about what you're not going to have after you're generous rather than choosing to trust that God's going to provide for you after you give. And so sometimes what happens when we think of generosity with a fear-based mentality, we think that we're believing the idea that God has given us a pie with limited pieces and limited parts. And so what happens is when we give most of the time from a fear-based mentality reluctantly we're not concerned about how this is going to bless somebody we're concerned with what i'm not going to have after i give it and in the same way i'm taking these little bites of key lime pie i wasn't i was missing the moment it was amazing but I guarantee you, I didn't enjoy it as much as I could have because I was concerned about the fact that God would never give me another key lime pie. But there's an opportunity here for us to shift our mindset, to go from having a fear-based idea and a fear-focused idea of generosity to an idea that is faith-filled. So if I want to have a faith-filled idea of generosity, what I'm choosing to believe at that point is that God's provision for my life is like a river that will continuously flow. And here's what you have to understand. It doesn't mean that at every moment, at every point of your life, that you're just going to have everything that you need. But what it does mean is that in the moment where you feel like things might be getting a little shaky... I guarantee you that if your mindset about provision is that God's provision for my life is a river that will continuously flow, that eventually something is going to come downstream. And that's what you're holding on to. And I think for some of us in the room, I wonder how many of us, when it comes to generosity, are more fear-focused and not faith-filled. I wonder how many of us in the room this morning are operating out of fear and not faith when it comes to generosity. And, and this morning, I just want to give us three things that I think if we can understand and start to let these three things play out in our life, I believe they'll help us move from being fear-focused and faith-filled when it comes to generosity. 
and so that it will enable us to be generous on every occasion. And if you're taking notes this morning, the first thing is this. Faith-filled generosity is all about trust. Faith-filled generosity is all about trust. When it comes to generosity, and we're more fear-focused and not faith-filled, what happens is it reveals an opportunity for us to grow in our trusting of God. And here's the thing. We're speaking about it in relation to finances, but you can be generous with your time. You can be generous with your gifts and abilities. And, and, and so I, I don't want us to just get narrow-minded and thinking about generosity as something that is only connected to money, but generosity is so much bigger than that. And, and it's not just a one-way trust. It's you learning to trust God in this area of your life, but it's also God seeing how much he can trust you with. So it's not just a one-way trust. But faithful generosity is about a mutual trust. It's about me trusting God with my finances, and it's about God trusting me with what he chooses to give me to steward in my life. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. And if we understand that faith-filled generosity is all about trust, then we know that living generously with our finances and positioning our lives to be generous on every occasion is not about legalism or obligation. It's about relationship. It's not about legalism. It's not about you have to be generous. It's not about obligation. It's not about you should be generous. No, but it's about a relationship because all relationships are based on trust. And so here's the thing. We're not gathered here this morning to talk about religion. We're gathered here this morning to talk about a relationship where the creator of the universe wants to be in relationship with you. And what happens when we say, hey, I want to I choose to give my life to Jesus. I want to choose to follow him. What are you doing? You're to, choosing to trust him with your life. And some of us have trusted him for salvation, but we can't trust him with our finances. And it's, it's, it's about trust, and it's about a relationship. And so, you know, when I think about my relationship with my wife, I tell her things, and I show her things, and I do things for her. Why? Because I trust her. If I did not trust her, I wouldn't tell her certain things. If I did not trust her, I wouldn't give her all of my life. I wouldn't give all of my heart to her. You know, sometimes... You know, that's what happens when relationships go wrong. I know it's not a relationship series. But sometimes you, people meeting each other for the first time and you just like give them your whole heart. And there's no foundation of trust. And what happens? What happens? It doesn't end well, usually. And so relationships are all based on trust. And in the same way, faithful generosity is all about trust. I think it starts with our relationship. And so I think when, if, if you're having a hard time thinking about, man, like, am I really struggling trusting God in this area of my life? What I would encourage you to do is say, hey, where in my relationship with Jesus am I not allowing him to come in and, and have his way? Where am I keeping the door closed? And because I'm keeping the door closed, I'm not allowing 
a foundation of trust to be built between me and God in this area of my life. Faith-filled trust is all about, generosity is all about trust. And how much do we trust God and how much can God trust us with? And we see this play out in a story in Luke chapter 16 where Jesus uh, he, he tells this story to teach the disciples, and I won't read the whole story, but Jesus tells a story of a store manager or a store owner, and he hires this guy to kind of run his operation. And this guy starts to run this, this man's operation, and what he hears is that this, 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 the guy he hired is just being wasteful. And so the store owner steps in, and he's like, hey, man, I'm hearing that, like, you're just kind of throwing all my stuff away. What's going on? Let's have a chat about it. And, um, and the guy immediately just gets kind of a little taken back by it. And the owner says, hey, I need you to account for everything. And so immediately the guy who he's asked to manage his, his, his operation goes into what mode? Fear. He begins to be fear-focused and not faith-filled. And what he starts to do is he starts to go to all the people that owe his, his boss money, and he says, hey, man, you know what I'm going to do for you? Hey, psst, I'm going to give you like 30% off of what you actually owe me, and then I'm going to just try to scratch it off and make it seem like this is what you owe me. You know, how many of you guys did that with your report card growing up? Anybody? <laughs> okay, only me. Great. Okay, guys, thanks. Um, um, I did that so many times. It's not good. <laughs> I know. It's not good. Uh, but I just wanted to be. I wasn't like giving myself an A. I mean, I was just trying to be decent, you know. And uh, hey, my mom was Korean, you know. If it wasn't like a hundred, mm, I was in trouble. But I love you, mom. And uh, but so he he like scratches off the invoices, and uh, and he brings it. He brings the amounts that he has now to his owner. And he says, look, look, look what I've done. And um, and the, the owners, you know, even like remarks, hey, man, that was pretty clever. And all in all, what this guy's trying to do is save his job. So he's operating out of fear because he doesn't want to lose his job rather than choosing to believe that maybe, just maybe, if he had a little faith, that what if his owner actually trusts him and that there was room for them to talk about what happened? But instead, he immediately went to fear. And I want to pick up the story in uh, verse 10 of Luke chapter 16, and this is what it says. It says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Anybody been there? You let somebody borrow something, and they return it, and it's not the same. And then you never let anybody borrow anything again. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I think there are moments in our life where we find ourselves trusting the money that's in our pocket more than we trust God. And instead of trusting God with our money, we trust our money more and we just pray that it works out. And how you know that you're trusting in those moments your money more than you are trusting God can often be determined 
with your mentality? Are you more focused about what's going to be missing after you give this person $10? Or are you saying, man, I feel like God is really wanting me to bless this person, and so I'm going to do it. I'm not even worried about how, how this $10 is going to come back to me because I just, I just know, that, I know, I know that the kingdom's going to move forward. And what if that's the return? What if the return isn't even the $10 getting back in your pocket, but it's something bigger than that? If we look at that verse, in verse 11 it says, So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? True riches is not more money. True riches is being able to experience the favor and the blessing of God in and around your life. And so what if this idea of, hey, I'm not going to be concerned with how God's going to provide for this physical amount of money. I'm just going to choose to be obedient and trust him in this way. What if the return isn't him kind of filling that gap, but it's him allowing you to experience him in a way that you thought you never could? True riches. Faith-filled generosity is all about trust, and I think one of the best ways to start to develop that trust is through the practice of tithing. And there's a moment in our service that we do every single week where we give people the opportunity to give, and we encourage people to give when they say that, hey, this is where I'm choosing to be planted. This is my church. And the tithe is the first 10% of our income that ultimately God has provided for us. Because you don't have your job without God. I believe that. You don't have your education without God. I believe that. And, um, and so ultimately, everything that we're doing comes from God, even our income. And so what we're doing, the tithe is the ten, to first 10% of what we're bringing back to God. It's not what we're giving to God. It's what we're bringing back to him because it was his first. And if you actually look at the origin of the word tithe, it means first and ten. Not first down, like not, not in football. It means first and ten. It's bringing the first ten percent. And, and here's, here's what I want to say really quickly about this. And later in the service, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it. But if you've never um, tried to practice the, the you know, I, I think what is honestly more an act of worship than anything tithing, um, we want to encourage you to get, give you an opportunity to do that through something that we call the Malachi Challenge here at our church. And it's based out of Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. And later on in the service, you'll hear from our lead pastor, Andy, kind of speak more around it. But the whole challenge is about you choosing to trust God. In that passage, you know, God says to test me with this. And, um, and it's a 90-day journey. And so, you know, if at any point you're feeling like, man, maybe this is my next step that I can take today, I want to encourage you to do that. But I want to remind all of us in the room that already understand what that is, is that I think tithing is more about obedience than sacrifice. You know, what we choose to give above and beyond 10% is generosity. Yeah. Tithing is not generosity. Tithing is obedience. Right. And, and so... There are moments where I've, I've found in my life, I'm like praying for God to do something that like I, I can't even imagine. And what I have to remind myself is, what if, you know, I want God to do something that's bigger and that's just crazier than anything I can imagine. What if that requires me then to be willing to obey when I can't even understand it? And so I think for some of us, that's where we need to 
take that step and be reminded that tithing, the act of tithing is not generosity. That's our obedience to him. And anything that we want to give above and beyond that, not just to the church, but to people around you that you meet, to organizations, that's generosity. But I think what helps us develop a foundation for trusting God with our finances is choosing to be obedient with that. That lays the foundation for us to change our mindset, to not be fear-focused, but to be faith-filled. And, and here's the thing. When it comes to tithing, what you're saying is you're saying that, that God, I believe that you can do more in my life and through my life with 90% than I ever could on my own with 100 And, and I think, too, it's, it's when I'm choosing to not be obedient in that way, what happens is I'm choosing to trust myself more than I am trusting God. And I don't know about you. I'd rather have 90% of what I would have had with God in my life and giving him the opportunity to move through me and move in my life than have 100% of what I earn and not have God be a part of it. And there, there are many expressions of generosity like we talked about earlier. And so the second thing this morning is faith-filled generosity is a lifestyle. Faith-filled generosity isn't just something that we do, but I think it's something that becomes who we are. I don't think that it's just, hey, I'm going to buy somebody Burger King today. I'm just dropping that real quick. Um, it's not just that. I think it's, it becomes about who you are. Like some of the most generous people that I know, I don't recall one act of generosity that they did. I recall the way that they lived their life more. And so faith-filled generosity is a lifestyle. Uh, Matthew chapter 25, verses 35 through 40, it says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers... And sisters of mine, you did for me. And what I love about those verses is we see the practical side of generosity. But the interesting thing is the question that they ask him is they say, well, wait, when did we see you? What does that tell you? That their mindset was in a position where they didn't even recognize what they were doing. That they missed it altogether. That what if they were more concerned with the act of doing it rather than the person who was receiving it? And what that reminded me of is, is, is it's really not about the act of generosity as much as it's you becoming a generous person. And people knowing you for your generosity. What if, what if we were a church where people heard, oh, like, what's your name? Oh, yeah, I'm Virginia. And, uh, oh, what church do you go to? I go to Liberty Church. And they immediately said, oh, my gosh, y'all are those generous people. What if that was the word on the street? What would our neighborhoods look like if people knew that our life was marked by generosity and, and they couldn't recall the act of what we were doing because it was who we are? What would your workplace look like if you came into work 
And they said, oh, there's that generous person. And it's not about like, oh, they bought me a coffee the other day. That was sweet. But it was like, no, in every single way, this person is just trying to be generous with their time, their resources, their thoughts, their ideas, their creativity, everything. Generosity, faithful generosity is a lifestyle. What could your friendships and relationships look like if we were a people that were generous and our generosity wasn't just defined by one act of kindness? One of the greatest examples, period, of faith-filled generosity in my life is my mom. And uh, some of you guys have met her. Her name is Sue. She's about five feet tall, and she is uh, 110% Korean. And, um, but I look at how my mom lives her life. It's not about, I can't recall acts of generosity, but it's really about who she is. And, um, and so, you know, I remember having a conversation with her and I asked her, because she made a decision um, about, she has her own business, and she made a decision probably about 16 years ago that she was going to automatically give 50% of her income that, that comes into the store away whether it's to her church, whether it's to people that she knows that are in need, um, whether it's other things, that organizations that she wants to bless. She made that decision. She drew the line in the sand. And, and I remember asking her, I was like, well, like what happens if it's like just a slow year? She said, oh, I'm not worried about that. I'm going to give 50% of what comes in. And so no matter the season or the circumstance, she was going to give 50% of what came in. And I said, well, how do you do that? Like, how did you raise my sister and I? How did you raise this kid who wanted to have Jordans on his feet? And, uh, and she said something to me that I still like. Every time we talk about generosity, I keep thinking about it. And she said this. She said, the reason that I can give, no matter what season or circumstance, that I'm in, and the reason I fight to be generous, no matter um, what my current life stage is, is because everything that I have is something that has been given to me, even when I didn't deserve it. And here's what she meant by everything. She wasn't talking about her material possessions. She wasn't talking about her store. She wasn't talking about, um, you know, her sweaters that she gets from TJ Maxx because she loves that place. Um, you know, I'll tell you this one story. My mom was in New York um, a couple of years ago, and we're taking her around the city. And we're in New York City, okay? And we're like, oh, my, like, we want to take you to see this because it's really cool. And uh, she's like, no, 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 let's go to TJ Maxx. <laughs> I was like, what? I was like, mom, you got TJ Maxx. I want to take you somewhere that you don't have. She said, no, 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 TJ Maxx. So we went to TJ Maxx, and we go to TJ Maxx by Columbus Circle, and, um, and we go in, and she's, like, shopping for a little bit, and then we come outside. This is what she says. I was like, I was like oh, man, I'm so embarrassed right now. She goes, she goes hey, guys, let's take a picture. <laughs> and I'm thinking, like, oh, maybe there's, like, Columbus Circle in the background from afar. Like, that's what she wants. She goes, no, I want to get a picture in front of TJ Maxx. <laughs> and, uh, and so reluctantly and under compulsion, I, uh, I gave in to this picture at TJ Maxx, and, um, and I, like, I couldn't get that out of my head the rest of the time she was here. I was like, I can't believe we posted up in front of TJ Maxx. 
like it was just this piece of architecture that was amazing. And, uh, but she said, she wasn't talking about her material possessions or things that she has. And, and my mom's hard to shop for because she doesn't like, she, she doesn't really like things. She has like a very few small things that she likes and she's really particular, but she doesn't like much. And, uh, but this is what she said. She said, I'm not talking about material things. What I'm talking about is Jesus. She said, Jesus was given to me when I didn't deserve it. And because that's what I want people to experience, and I want them to know who he is, the greatest way for me to do that is through being generous in everything that I do. Which leads me to the last thing this morning, is that faith-filled generosity reveals God's heart for humanity. The good news of Jesus Christ is this, that God gave his one and only son for every person despite our failures and despite our sin. When I listen to my mom talk about Jesus, man, I, I mean, I literally, I'm looking for the uh, offering container to go by because I'm like, mom, I know you don't got no church, but I'm just ready to give to you because it's, it's, it's compelling. And it's compelling because she believes what she told me. She really believes that everything has been given to her and not material things, but Jesus is her everything. And so the reason she fights to be generous on every occasion, the reason she responds to this call that God's giving to all of us to be generous on every occasion and position our lives to be generous on every occasion is because it doesn't point to us. When we're truly a generous people, it points directly back to God. Because you ever, have, you ever give something to somebody and they're like, why are you doing this? And then you don't even know? Like, I don't even know. Like, I don't know how it's going. I don't know what I'm doing, but, like, I just, I'm just supposed to do this. That's when you know it's about something that's bigger than you. And that's when you know maybe you're right in the center of where God wants you to be. And what you're doing is you're actually just bringing God's heart for humanity to the surface. The good news of Jesus Christ is that God gave his one and only son for us on the cross, that we would be reconciled to our Father in heaven. And have life and life to the full. And the gospel is the greatest expression of generosity. You want to talk about generous on every occasion? It's Jesus. No matter what stage of life you're in, no matter what you thought you believed, no matter what you thought you knew about him, no matter how you walked in this morning thinking that there was no way that this God, this Savior, could love you. I'm here to tell you that he is ready to be generous even on this occasion for your life. Not for your bank account, not for your job or your career, but for your eternity. Faith-filled generosity reveals God's heart towards humanity. John chapter 3, verse 16, a verse that we all know, it's like, it's just everybody knows it. Even if you don't go to church, even if you don't say you're a Christian, you know it because these athletes be putting it under their eyes. If you're a baseball player, they be writing it on their sneakers. And uh, we're praying that they believe it. But this is what it says, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The gospel is faithful generosity that reveals God's heart towards humanity. And God's heart towards humanity is that every person, not just me, not just Tess, not just Josue, not just Patty, not just Abby, not just Damien, not just Erica, but that every person 
would be able to be in relationship with him. And he loves them so much that he was willing to give everything that he had. The most generous thing he could do so that we could be in relationship with him. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18, it says this, this is how we have discovered love's reality. Isn't that an interesting line? This is how we've discovered that this love is real. That this thing that we're talking about is not just some like idea, but it's real. Jesus sacrificed his life for us because of this great love. We should be willing to lay down our lives for one another. If anyone sees a fellow believer in need and has the means to help him, yet shows no pity and closes his heart against him, how is it even possible that God's love lives in him? In other words, if anyone sees someone in need and does not do anything to extend any type of generosity towards that person, how is it even possible that God's love lives in them? Beloved children, our love can't be an abstract theory. We only talk about but a way of life demonstrated through our loving deeds. We know that the truth lives within us because we demonstrate love in action, which will reassure our hearts in his presence. Here's the reason I put faith-filled in front of generosity. Because if you're filled with faith, it should always lead you to action. You show me one person who's been filled with faith that is not moving towards something or doing something. And what happens when you're more focused on fear? What do you do? You pull away. You hide. You don't move. It cripples you. But when we're faith-filled about generosity, and the team can come if they're, they're not, they're somewhere back here. Um, the reason I put faith-filled is because faith will always lead you to action. When you put your faith in something, it leads you to do something towards that thing. And so... When we accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ, we freely received the goodness of God, the kindness of God, the faithfulness of God, the grace of God, the love of God, the healing power of God. We were given new life. So now we freely give. And so here's the thing. I can love somebody because of what? Because God loved me first. I can bring peace to a situation Because God has brought peace to my life. I can be a light to somebody because God's been a light to me. Notice that everything is dependent on this faith being a real thing. I can be generous to somebody because God has been generous to me. I can be generous on every occasion because even when I didn't deserve it, God extended generosity to me. And that generosity that he extended to me took me from death to life. It wiped away all of my sin, past, present, and future. And here's the thing. It's, 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 not, it's not this. It's not your position. It's not your status. It's not your bank account. That makes the difference? It's not what school you went to that makes the difference. 
It's not what degree you have that makes the difference, even though Candace has two masters. Just saying. Um, anybody catch that last week? I was like, what? That doesn't make the difference. That's not the, the thing that allows you to be generous on every occasion. What makes the difference is Jesus. He is the difference in everything in your life. Jesus is the difference. It's not my bank account one plus one equals I can be generous on every occasion. No, what it is is my life being surrendered to God plus Jesus equals I can be generous on every occasion and not be worried about what's going to be missing. If I truly believe that Jesus makes the difference, I'm more focused on what I have than what I don't have. When I'm choosing to be faith-filled and not fear-focused, I'm more concerned about what God wants to do in me and through me rather than choosing to think about, man, how am I going to make that up? And so I believe that every single person in this room, no matter how you walked in, no matter what you came in with, you can leave living a life where you can be generous on every occasion. I believe that with all of my heart. And the reason I believe that is because there's a God, the one who puts the sun in the sky, the one who brings the moon up at night, the one who knew you before you were even here, wants to be generous on every occasion for you. Can I pray for us this morning? So with every eye closed, you know, maybe you're in the room this morning and you've never responded to the gospel of Jesus. You've never responded to the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to give you that opportunity this morning. And... This is God's heart towards humanity, but it's also God's heart towards you. Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross so that we could be reconciled to him, so that we could be in relationship with him. It's the invitation of salvation. And um, if you're in the room this morning and you would say, I've never responded to the good news of Jesus Christ. I've never responded to the greatest expression of generosity. I've never responded to the gospel. I want to give you that moment, the opportunity right now. And what I'm going to ask that you do is uh, in faith, uh, in a moment, we're going to pray a prayer, but I, I want to know who I'm praying with, who we're praying for this morning. And so in this moment where it's just between you and God, um, I want to invite you, if you would say, I want to say yes to that invitation this morning. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to respond to the gospel. I want to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. I just want to invite you to lift your hand on the count of three if you would say that's you this morning. One, two, three. If you would say that's you, I want to give my life to Jesus this morning.